Okay, it's time for another episode of Gutter Boys. Gutter Boys is a small press comics podcast about the ins, the outs, the highs, and the very deep, endless lows of making comics. I'm your host, JB, with my co-host, Cam. On today's episode, episode 66, we're joined with Brian Baines of Bubbles fame, along with Ryan Holmberg to discuss their recent reprint of Inoue Kazuo's Bat Kid, which I believe it's the first time it's ever been printed in English before. Uh, Holmberg uh, is uh, the translator. Uh, There's a very lengthy essay at the beginning of the book. Well, technically at the end of the book, if you're reading it in in a certain order. Uh, But uh, basically outlines the history and origins of baseball manga in Japan. Very, very interesting stuff. Uh, We go into some pretty dry, in-depth detail about uh, the history of manga and baseball uh, in Japan. So if you're a fan of either of those things, or both, uh, you're in for a treat. Otherwise, uh, sucks to be you. Maybe skip this one. But <laughs> Except the uh, the intro here is the uh, second annual Pimp and Simp of the Year Award. So don't skip the intro. That's definitely worth sticking around for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the votes are in. We still have to tally them up here. Actually, I think that we should do it a little differently this year, okay? Okay, all right. So we had a lot of you write in. And I said that it was going to be anonymously read on the show. That's a lie. We're doxing all of you and revealing your secret beefs. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, no, I'm just kidding. They will be read anonymously. But I say that we rattle off everybody's uh, nominations. And then we talk about who we would personally nominate for Pimp and Simp. And then we come to an agreement on who actually mm, wins. Okay. So we're not really tallying votes. It's more of a, no, it's it's, more of a vibe. It's, it's more of a vibe. And it's our decision, ultimately. We've got too okay. many listeners now. We can't let them run this show. Oh, true. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we also have uh, the first annual Geisner Awards. Yes. Yes. Uh, which is basically, uh, it's not quite a pimp award. It's for being a cool ass motherfucker. Like that yeah. person that you meet, you know, tabling at a show that you never met before. And you're just kind of enamored with them after. And you're like, that was a cool ass motherfucker. And you can't wait to see him at the next show. That's the uh, criteria for the Geisners, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, and you, I mean, the work has to be good, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be a good worker. Yeah. Do you want to read first? Yeah. Should we read off the listeners' uh, nominations? All right. Okay, so first simp nominee is for the Todd father, Todd McFarlane. Damn. Yeah, yeah I kind of agree. Yeah, he's been uh, back and forth. I feel like he's spending more time on toys than comics again, so. Yeah. He did Spawn 300, took uh, Dave Sims' record and broke its back like Bane did Batman, and he was like, I'm out. Yep. So. Okay. Uh, we also have a self-nominee. <laughs> Actually, we're going to read the self-nominees. If you nominated yourself, you're getting doxxed. Yeah. Okay, so Simp Award nominee is the underscore stink underscore hole. That's uh, our buddy Pete Fakey. Skateboard P. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but he also nominated himself as a pimp for skating instead. Yeah, so Interesting. there you go. Okay. Uh, we have uh, a pimp nominee here for Caroline Cash. I feel like that name's going to come up a lot. Yep. Uh, another pimp nominee, Nick Edwards. I don't know who that is. Not really sure either. We'll have to look yeah. that up. Mm-hmm. And then uh, simp nominee here, Ed Pisshor. <laughs> I'm guessing that's Ed Pisscore. Okay. Another pimp nominee here, Harry Nordlinger. All right. Not sure who that is. Do you know who that is? Yeah, he does that vacuum decay book. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. yes, yes. Okay, okay. Oh, oh, hey, another simp nominee for Todd McFarlane here. But it says turned Damn. ultimate simp. So that does wow. respect his previous legacy as a pimp. That's true. Yeah, that is that is a heel turn for sure. Mm-hmm. Another pimp nominee goes to Eddie from Strangers and Simp for Themselves, which is Blue Skies comic. All right. 
Let me uh, chime in here. Pimp of the year, Akira Yoshida. Simp of the year, CB Sobolski. <laughs> <laughs> that might take it, actually. The duality of man, baby. <laughs> All right, we got a few here. Uh, pimps, the Image Union guys, simps, Todd McFarlane, Joe Bennett, and Pisker. Mm. Al GoFundMe for Simp of the Century. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Caroline Cash pimping on everyone. Simp, I'd say that Victor, in quotes, commenting Cairo. <laughs> As opposed to me, uh, Cam, posting Del Rosario. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> the uh, real punisher, Victor yeah. Cairo. <laughs> Hyena Hell for Pimp. Uh, pimp, young Jasper J. Simp. Now, hold on now. Wait, wait, wait. We can't. That, that nominee can't go because we know who put in that vote. And there's a bit of a conflict of interest there. We're talking you know about hyena I mean. hell for pimp. Yeah. 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 Okay, Josh, we see you, bro. But <laughs> respect, and I will write in hyena hell. I will co-sign hyena hell for being a pimp. That uh, that's that's mini fine. They put out. I'm for all for hyena hell sit. getting it for pimp, but uh, you know, conflict of interest. We're trying mm. to be transparent here. <laughs> okay. We're trying to be honest journalists. Yeah. All right. Uh, pimp, young Jasper J, simp, Donnie Cates, a.k.a. Donald Cringe. <laughs> the pimps are everyone who didn't quit over the last year. Boo! Uh, simps got YA deals. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Michael's a little salty, huh? <laughs> uh, pimp, Image Comics Union. Simp, Image Comics. All right. Interesting. Hang Another on. duality. I swear to God, this is real. I'm not being biased here. Uh, just messaged in our little private Discord. Pimp, Bubbles, Simp, Strangers Fanzine. <laughs> All right, Pimp, Michael Kennedy. All right, I'll co-sign that. Yeah, co-sign. Uh, simp, Al Columbia. Mm, uh, okay, so a little aside you. on the Al Columbia thing, <laughs> by the way. All right. So uh, my buddy Aaron Conley talked to me a bit about Al's history, quote unquote. Uh, Aaron's a huge fan of Al Columbia. Like, he's been following his work for, fuck, almost two decades now, I think. Mm. But um, he basically outlined that Al does this every couple of years where he'll stir up fake controversy about himself just to get press. Ah, so we, we bought it hook, line, and sinker. We then. did buy it. Yeah, so Al, you got us. Damn. Pimp of the year, Al us. Columbia. <laughs> 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 Al Columbine, they're calling him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, pimp, Ed Pisker. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, simp, Comic Book Workers United. All right. Who fucking wrote that in? You're trolling That's us, a dude. Thick underscore comics. All right. That's a troll if I've yeah. ever seen one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, pimp That's of fine the year. if you think Ed is pimp, by the way, but the simp being the union, fuck off, dude. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, pimp of the year is the boat that blocked the Suez Canal. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Carl Damn. Stevens' book that uh, got stuck on that boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't forget about the boat that had a bunch of cocaine on it that got stopped. Hell yeah. That's also a pimp boat. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, simp of the year is all of the Elon stands and anyone who bought an NFT. Yeah, you yeah, might I'll be right. That. Yeah. Yep, yep. Another simp nominee to NFTs and the dorks making them. All right, co-sign that. Pimp. Annie Koyama for Koyama Provides Grant Program. Oh, that's a, that's a good vote. Yeah. We would be biased there. Let's keep it real. Right. Actually, the person who put this vote in would also be biased. So, Sean. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. Still okay, a pimp, simp. Annie. You're still a pimp. You've been a pimp, though. Ladies is yeah, pimps, Sean, too. Yeah, you're, Sean. You're all good. You're all good. Yeah. Okay. Simp Award. Eric Clapton. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Eric <Simp>. Clapton. <laughs> yeah. Times of Thousands. Uh, his shittiness transcends all cultural borders. A hundred percent toilet hole. Okay. Mm. 
uh, Pimp, The Reemergence and Recovery of Inez Estrada and Gato Osorio. All right. Pat Rooks also gets pimp vote for a cool free we don't know because Cam cut it off. Yeah, sorry. I'm bad at screenshotting. <laughs> pimp Nate McDonough for including the coolest I don't know also cut off. Don't well, worry, I bet we'll you get it was cool as shit. I bet you it was cool yeah, yeah. as shit knowing Nate. Cool as shit is probably, yeah, that's a good guess. All righty. I uh, got a couple more that trickled in. Gary Panner for Pimp of the Year, thanks to his amazing run of index card declarations. Got to admit, that shit is tight as fuck. He's going full Zodiac Killer, writing these crazy scrawled out notes. I don't really think Zodiac Killer, you know, it's just funny seeing like the handwritten letter sent to the quote unquote Comics Press via Instagram. Panner's like, you know, just decrying NFTs and saying, don't write them. I don't want to be in your fanzine and just writing these on index cards and posting pictures and it fucking rocks. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Gavin Mackey for Pimp. Comics by Perch is my nominee for number one simp. His YouTube channel fucking blows. Never heard of it, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Donald Cates, simp. Pimp. Michael Kennedy, simp. Al Columbia. I'm going to forgive that Al Columbia simp award because, you know, you probably didn't know just like us, bro. <laughs> yeah, you got work too. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, then we got uh, MS for Pimp, second year running. Hell yeah. Uh, then we have, uh, let's see here. Okay, Pimp, Nick Edwards, Simp, Ryan Sands. Okay, this motherfucker put it in twice, so we're now disqualifying their votes. Yeah, but wasn't Ryan Sands the guy that Simon said was Simp of the Year? The guy uh, who was police and maybe likes? Maybe the, the journalist guy? Yeah, maybe. I think so. Maybe. Okay, yeah. Still disqualified. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nick... <laughs> all right pimp goes to simon hanselman all right uh simp pisker that fun girl thing that was a new level of pathetic you know that's true i'm not putting pisker in the hat for pimp of the year on my end this year but i did forget about that fun girl thing and if i didn't spend so much time uh you know cracking down on my choices for these prestigious awards that might get them back on but you're safe this year bro but that fun girl thing was a new level of pathetic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the simp award for the Punisher. You know who he's talking pimp. about, right? <laughs> yes, yes, we all know. And uh, pimp award that, to that. Nate McDonough. Uh, yeah, no, we know. Uh, <laughs> uh, pimp award. Ooh, another nominee to uh, Gary Painter. Uh, Panter? I forget how to pronounce his last <laughs> Panter, name. Panter, I think. I've always said Panter. I always want to say Painter. Like, it looks I feel like, like that's just a good name. Gary yeah. Painter. Anyway. Ooh, Caroline Cash chimes in here, nominating themselves for both categories. Hell yeah. All Strong right. finish. Strong finish. So that's it for the listeners. I may have forgotten some while screenshotting because, you know, like I fucked it up earlier. Um, I may not have uh, read yours, and I'm sorry if I didn't or JB didn't. It just probably wasn't included. But thank you all for writing in. Now comes the uh, actual official ceremony. So, uh, yeah, put some music or some shit in there. Um, (laughs) I actually thought way too much about this shit. Um, So I've got a few things I'm going to throw out. I've got four nominees for Pimp of the Year this year, okay? Oh, okay. Actually, wait, no, no, no. Let's not do Pimp and Simp of the Year. Let's go ahead and award the Geisner. Oh, okay. The first. So let's just, okay, okay, all right. Before we announce the official pimp and simp award winners for this year we're gonna go ahead and announce the winner of the first annual geisners all right so cam i think we both agree who this is gonna be we don't even have to talk about it for the listeners we haven't talked really about what our choices are but i already know what you're thinking you know what i'm thinking right roll out the red carpet nate mcdonough ladies and gentlemen the first ever geisner award winner truly a well-deserved win 
Grixley Cola on Instagram. You need to follow him. Uh, the workhorse of the year. Uh, the funniest motherfucker I've ever met in my life. One of them, anyways. Brings me endless joy to have conversations. Somebody that I'll literally think about and just laugh <laughs> because I'll think about an interaction I had with them. Truly a hard dick motherfucker. A dude's rock general. Amazing gentleman, Nate McDonald. Awesome. Shout out to Nate. And uh, also, a little aside, you don't have to be a guy to win the Geisners. We got a little bit of uh, feedback about that. People were worried, oh, you know, this is you know, fucking sexist or gender or something. You know, No. It's just no. words. They're just words. You can be a guy, a girl, a they, them, a non-binary, don't fucking matter. If you're fucking cool. You could be a dog. You'll get... You- <laughs> You know, for as much flack as you give me, Feral I feel children. like lately you've been saying the most unhinged shit. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So next year, if you have an idea of who you think should win the Geisners, doesn't matter, you know, what they identify as, you can still uh, be up for a Geisner Award nomination. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. Okay. All right. So let's uh, let's go ahead and get to the bread and butter of uh, of this discussion. And that's the third annual, am I right? No, second. This is only the second annual? Yeah, official. Oh, okay, okay. All right, so this is the second annual Pimp and Simp Awards for 2021. Cam, who do you have? Well, I just want to say, last year's winner, MS Harkness, we had someone write in saying, you know, nominate them for the second year in a row. I think unless there's just someone that's just like an ultimate fucking pimp, like destroys the industry... I think that a rule from here on out should be you can't win back to back. What do you think? I agree. Uh, I think there can be exceptions. Yes. So MS, that's uh, that's the new glass ceiling you got to break. Yeah. Uh, you honestly were a uh, really fucking uh, big pimp in my eyes this year. You put together that retreat. Uh, I saw the book that you're working on. Uh, really incredible stuff. So with all due respect to the 2020 pimp of the year, it is time to step aside and let a new pimp rise. And the torch off. Yes. So I've got four nominations for my pimp of the year. And then, you know, if any of these people cross over, whatever, we'll workshop it. I've got Big Gleb Melnikov, Nate Garcia, Sean Knickerbocker, and the $30,000 baby Jasper Juvenville on my Mm. list. And I want to give a little explanation of why. So Sean Knickerbocker put together arguably the best anthology in indie comics. That's always really exciting to get Rust Belt review. I do feel a little biased because a lot of our friends are in that publication, but I do think it was one of the best things to come out this year, and I think that he's doing a great job there. Nate, because he's just a fucking, like, he's just off the chain, and you can see his development over the past year, and it's just at this crazy speed. Jasper raised $30,000 on Kickstarter for his first fucking book, so that's a pretty pimp move. But I gotta be honest, I'm leaning towards Big Gleb. And the reason why, this is kind of weird, I know, Gutter Boys over an Indie Comics podcast, why are you gonna give it to a mainstream guy? Gleb just straight up shits on his fans and the editors at DC and uh, just gets a bag for working. And I don't know if this is too much inside baseball, I guess it's not because he told us on the show, but Gleb's quitting after 12 issues so he can work on his own shit. He's getting his bag, probably gonna save his money, you know, ration it out, whatever, so he can work on a project that he likes. Ultimate pimp move, uh, the other day he posted a gift spoiling Spider-Man and some guy was just like, Jesus Christ, for fuck's sake, dude, the movie's only been out for five days, you're spoiling it for all the fans, blah blah blah, and then Gleb just replied with Aunt May dies with another spoiler. Just ultimate pimp moves on Twitter all the time. <laughs> That's who I think advances out of my picks. But who do you got? Yeah, you you have a strong case here. I never even thought 
to nominate Gleb. No offense, Gleb. I think you're great. I think you're, you know, a personal king of mine. But now you uh, you convinced me. Maybe, maybe it is Gleb. Because, t- look, as much as, you know, I hate to give, like, mainstream comics their props, we're talking shit and operating in a scene where Gleb's talking shit in a mainstream, like, ocean. You know? Right. Like, he's, like, walking and looking at cancellation in the face every day. And not because he's problematic, but just because, like, his fans are just fucking deranged individuals who write, like, fan fiction about robbing fucking people. And they're just like, you should do this. Ooh, ooh. And he's like... That fucking sucks. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. that shit rocks, dude. Like, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. All right, my nominees. Uh, let's see. Well, I'm going to have to include Gleb now in the running. <laughs> I mean, come on. After that, I just, it's hard not to. Another nominee was going to go to Nate. Uh, Nate Garcia. Only for asking the same question every time we have a guest. That's the only reason why I'm going <laughs> to give him a nomination for Pimp. That's a Pimp move, in my opinion. Mm. Okay. Uh, and also, he's a hard worker. Uh, he's also getting shout outs from like all the big names now. Mm-hmm. Well, all the haters are on the sidelines, just gritting their teeth, gnashing away. Why does he hang out with old guys? Ooh. She's getting real, real mad. And uh, that's that's a pimp move, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Simon Hanselman, that's going to get the third mm-hmm. nomination for just mm-hmm. being a worker, putting shit out for free to the masses during some really rough times. And also not giving a single fuck. I think, you know, especially after speaking with him on that interview, I really think that I'm going to call it like I see it. I feel like I don't want to say he's like the new Dan Clouds, but what I mean is like he's the guy in indie comics of this era. And I think he's doing a good job with the torch. I yeah, I agree. That. I agree. Someone who's, you know, a little more transparent. Mm-hmm. Someone who's like online and transparent. I think that's really the the makings of like the the new generation of big names. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Simon, shout out to you. Uh, my fourth nomination. Let me think about this because this is um, it's, this is crunch time. You know, I'm gonna have to give it to Jasper. You know, I I feel like while we were on that trip back in September and, uh, you know, there was talk in the discord about Jasper finally dropping his Kickstarter and, uh, you know, aside, this was before Kickstarter decided to be a giant piece of shit. So don't fault him for it. But raising as much money as he did in as little amount of time that that thing was up for, that's a fucking pimp move. Like, holy shit. I, yep. I don't think many small press cartoonists, let alone publishers, would have expected something like that in terms of being able to amass that amount of money in such a short period of time. Like I've seen big names try and throw up projects on Kickstarters and not even come close to what Jasper did. And, yeah, and that, totally. I mean, that's a huge move for a guy who's never been published by a major publisher, never had huge coverage, really. So I have to hand it to to Jasper, really, for fucking handling it and uh, really driving people to his work in a very organic way. And I think he might be the last guy to really be able to do that on a platform like Instagram. Yeah, because it's so weird because it was such like a a perfect storm. Yeah. You know, like it was gradually, it was like this gradual build, you know, he's putting out those issues and then like, he's like, okay, this is the book. This is what everything's amounted to. And then boom, funded in three fucking days. Yeah, fucking amazing. (laughs) Fucking amazing. Yeah, so... Man. Yeah, so who's it going to be? This is tough. It really is, like, because, like, you got the 30,000. That's 40,000 Canadian, by the way. $40,000 Canadian, baby. (sighs) I don't know what the conversion rate is, but I know that the U.S. dollar's better than Canadian money, right? So, man, I don't know. And I'm thinking, 
because I'm going to be honest with you. I came into this episode like ready to strong arm Gleb into this award. And rightfully so, considering what he's done. (laughs) Yeah. But like, you know, talking about Jasper and the crazy thing, I'll be completely honest with you. Like I like wasn't really prepared to award Jasper this because like the motherfucker knows he's a pimp. Right. So, you know, you don't want to you don't want to blow up his ego. I get it. Yeah. But I feel like Gleb will work for DC again. And I and I won't lie, like I'm not selling this for the listeners trying to make drama. Like my mind is kind of, you know, jumping between the two, but I might have to give it to the little motherfucker from Canada because this has been like a lightning in a bottle thing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it'll ever happen again. Like you said, at least not on Instagram. Yeah. And Gleb is going to, you know, go do some other, you know, projects, but there's a chance that he's going to work in mainstream comics again. That's his lane. And I don't see Gleb changing. No, no, no. So, Gleb could win in the future where this is kind of a once in a lifetime year for Jasper. Yeah, I could see Gleb winning this maybe next year whenever he does his own indie thing. But for now, yeah, I think it has to go to Jasper. Yeah, and I hate to say that because like I really have like I've been in our fucking group chat talking about Gleb being pimp of the year for like like three weeks now. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, Gleb, I'm really sorry. I I hope you don't cancel your Patreon subscription. This wasn't planned. But, you know, when I actually sit down and think about Jasper being 21 and out earning 50 year old fucking dudes who have done DC and Marvel work on Kickstarter, you know, that's crazy. I think this it really is crazy how you've got Jasper and Nate because there's always young people working in comics, but not necessarily having like a spotlight on them. Right. And you've got like two fucking children just (laughs) cooking everybody (laughs) (laughs) right unapologetically too you know yeah yeah Uh, yeah i'm I'm sure i'm gonna say jasper dude what are you going with i mean you know i'm going with jasper damn 2022 official pimp of the year award 2021 sorry 2021 (laughs) official pimp of the year award jasper juvenville damn shout out to young lean you really deserved it this year damn Damn, I'm not even gonna tell him. And like, usually, you know, I talk to Jasper pretty often. I'm not even gonna tell him. I'm gonna, him, I'm gonna let him be surprised. So, uh, Jasper, we'll be mailing you your Red Lobster gift certificate. Uh, mm-hmm. So keep an eye out for that. They don't even have Red Lobster in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was that was a point. That's why. Oh no, I thought like it maybe, was a word, you know, brother. <laughs> okay, all right, my bad, my bad, my bad. Come on, man. Come mm-hmm. on. All right. So before we get to Simp Award. We're going to go ahead and shoehorn a brand new award again. The official first Pimp in the Shadows Award. Uh, Last year's Pimp, MS Harkness nominated Sean Knickerbocker for Pimp in the Shadows. And uh, when I was thinking about all this stuff, um, I was like, oh, we should have a Pimp in the Shadows Award winner this year. And the criteria for this award is someone that, I guess this makes us look like assholes because we're like, oh, we've seen something you haven't. But if we know you're working on something or you're posting that you're working on something and you can tell it's about to just be absolute fire and you're sitting on it, that's how you win the Pimp in the Shadows Award. And I'm going to go ahead and just give this motherfucker to Big Blake Sims down in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I know that comes off as biased, but Blake's sitting on like 150 pages of comics that are just going to fucking absolutely floor everybody. And he's in no rush to release them. So he's hiding out in the shadows. (laughs) So he is literally a pimp in the shadows. And I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, you you drive a good point. Blake is a machine. And I feel like he's one of those uh, overlooked cartoonists because he's not constantly on social media, you know, fucking carnying it up and trying to sling his books. He's busy sitting at working. his desk, working, pumping <laughs> out those pages, grinding, 
building his empire of paper and it's just uh, stacks on stacks on stacks and uh yeah i'm i'm really excited when the time comes when people really figure it out that blake is who he is you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh and it's just a matter of time baby it's just a matter yeah. of time uh so yeah i guess i guess we'll go ahead and uh give our first annual pimp in the shadows award to our boy big blake damn damn all right, so uh, moving on, let's get to our simp award. Who do you got, Cam? All right, so I'm going to keep this a little long-winded, and I'm very sorry because I know you got to edit it, but I'm going to list off who I got, all right? Mr. Chiba Hawk, a.k.a. the big bitch Donald Cates, Keenan Marshall Keller, cartoonist <laughs> TikTokers, Liana Kangas and her fans, letterers on Twitter, NFT motherfuckers, and people that ask other more famous cartoonists to take a pic with their book. <laughs> All right, all right. So the only reason why I want to nominate, I'm going to, Keenan Marshall Keller, that was just a little jab. You're not really simp of the year, bro, but you're a fucking boomer who talks shit about us, and uh, now I'm talking shit about you, publicly. (laughs) But you're not really simp of the year. Yeah, no, you got to go above and beyond to get the simp award. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Being mad online is not worth the simp award. Peace and love, Keenan. What the fuck we do to you, bro? Just mute our account. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't really know who to award it to. So I want to hear what you got to say and okay. we'll come to a consensus. Okay. Okay. So I know the previous uh, write-in brought this up about Pisker. And you know, initially I was going to I was gonna ease off on him. You know, I feel like Simon brought up some good points about him. You know, he, he really did draw attention to Fantagraphics doing single issues again. Mm-hmm. That is pretty big. So shout out to Ed for doing that. Yeah. But we cannot overlook the fun girl thing. That was embarrassing across borders. Yes, that's true. It transcends time and space. That shit was real sad. So, I'm going to have to put Pisker in the running again. So you can win Simp of the Year two years in a row? Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right, all right. Yeah, Simpin ain't easy. Yeah, it's not really, but... Uh, and again, I really didn't want to give it to Ed again. I really didn't. I feel like Ed is doing some good stuff for people that are into that kind of thing, but... Yeah, damn, that fun girl thing. Like that my bones cringed at that. And I it's, Yeah, that it just, really that, did suck. Whew, it takes a lot, man. It takes a lot to make me feel embarrassed that way. So yeah, you get that nomination. Uh Donnie Cates, you know you bring up good points about Donnie. So I'll he's throw. just a bitch. Now he's got money. He's like, I'm quitting Twitter. And then he'll still post. And the shit that he posts is like, bought the car of my dreams, and it's like the new fucking uh what's the car OJ drove? <laughs> The Bronco? Ford the Bronco. Bronco. Yeah, dude. And he like posted a pic of him like leaning on his new Bronco at the car dealership. So like he went on this like long tirade like in the past month and a half and he was just like, Twitter's so toxic. I'm going to Substack, blah, 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 blah. Mainly because he wants you to give him money. And um he like would come back just to be like, Hey, I know I said I was gonna quit Twitter, but look at this new car. Nah, he's a pain pig. I he am. wants it. Yeah, he's he's a fucking loser. Is what he's he a is. pain pig. He wants he wants the heat. He knows it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you know what? You bring up a, a good uh uh, good argument about Mr. Chiba Hawk. So, uh, yeah, well, we'll throw him in the nomination. Fuck it. So that's number yeah, two. Plus, you know what? You know what? This person doesn't like us anymore. Y'all want some Donny Case stories? This motherfucker took his wife's phone right before or right after they got married and texted her previous lovers and said, you can no longer talk to this woman anymore, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but hey, and I have that on a co- on account from someone that was uh, with her. So, damn. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, let's see. Uh, another simp. Hmm. Well, I feel like NFTs is such a broad thing 
Do we know any like specific cartoonists that are just all in on NFTs? Matt Fury. Well, he's been like he's been all yeah. in on that. Yeah. Artyom Trakhanov. <laughs> he's really into NFTs, so I hear. <laughs> yeah, he loves them. He loves them. I uh, know. Fuck. Uh, you know what, Simp? I'm gonna throw in Ramon Villalobos. Oh. You okay. earned it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, Ramon. It's all peace and love over here. I know you want to talk about Kangas, bro. How are you not talking about Kangas? Yeah, well, you know, okay, so I wanted to bring up Kangas, but upon reflection, in the same way Gleb is not really into the small press world, Kangas is not. Kangas is the big two's problem, in my opinion. True, true, you know, true. Like, those big publishers, that's their issue. They, you know, they can fucking deal with that. That red mark is on them, not on small press. So I don't feel like mm-hmm. it's warranted to even bring them up. Fair. Okay. Which I guess Donny Cates technically isn't even in small press. Yeah, either. but Donny Cates is such a bitch. He deserves it. <laughs> okay. Fair. <laughs> I'm not even going to let you finish that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nate Garcia. No. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Damn, you know, there's not many simps I can think of in small press. Yeah, I'm trying to think who like went real simp this year. I mean, Al Columbia was a good case until you dropped the bombshell on me that I it's know, all fucking I know. press. Now like... he's a pimp. I know. <laughs> Fuck. What what if it like it turns out that this time it was actually real and we're calling a murderer a pimp? <laughs> this also is gonna look real pimp. good. Oh <laughs> uh, man, I'm I'm stumped here. I'm trying to think. Who else really fucked up this year? I mean, Gofa fucked up, I guess, but I don't know if it's like Simp of the Year worthy fucked up. I mean, he's still doing his thing and making moves. Seems to have not lost too many fans. He lost some fans. He lost like 2,000 followers. Maybe three. Damn, that's... Okay. All right. Well, I mean, you know, you played yourself, Gofa. Yeah, this is hard. Because I feel like we're lucky. Small press doesn't really have to deal with this except for Pisker. Yeah, but you know what? I don't... The fun girl shit does suck, though, because that was actually an attack on small press. But I hate, I, I kind of hate giving it to him again this year because, like, that really fucking sucked. So what I want to say is, like, that was a, it, probably the biggest simp move of the year. But I don't know if it's simp of the year worthy because, like, he also had some kind of pimp things that balanced it out. Right, right, right. So, you know, we're kind of looking at, like, uh, you know, like the Lady Justice is kind of fucking from the Metallica album. <laughs> I can't figure out what way she's going to lean on that one. Oh, I do want to elaborate on something I said. And this is not an attack on you personally, so nobody get like... I'm not talking to one person here, but I have seen this shit, and it's so fucking weird. Do not give a creator your book and ask them to take a picture with it so you can post it for cloud online, people. Especially if you don't have a personal relationship with that creator. One, that's fucking weird. If anybody asked me to ever do that, I'd be like, no. I will talk about your book if it's good. You should allow people to talk about your work if it's good. If you want to take a picture with the person and post it, I think that looks cooler. You know, I posted a picture that I took with Jaime Hernandez. I would never in a million years ask Jaime Hernandez to hold up one of my comics so I could take a picture of it and post it online. So don't do that, people. I don't think that you're the simps of the year, but I just want to say that anytime you do this, it's corny and a major L in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. All right, you know what? Fuck it. I will go broad. Anyone who does NFTs, that's a cartoonist. I think NFTs are simp of the years, man. Yeah, it might be it. You know what? Fuck it. Any cartoonist. All the cartoonists doing (laughs) NFTs. Boom. Congrats. You're now simp. Yeah, simp of the year. 2021. NFT motherfuckers and defenders. All right. All right. So. All right, Ed. You, uh. You, uh. Escape by the skin of your teeth. (laughs) No, but for real, Ed, you, uh, you're doing some good stuff. You're not listening. I know you don't, but. Yeah. You know, I would say focus on the comics, maybe. 
and not so much on riding people's dick. Uh-huh. And try to not groom people if you're doing that. Also that too, because we know people that uh, have sent us some screen grabs and it's a little so, shady, dude. It's a little yes. fucking shady. Don't do that. Don't, yeah. don't fucking don't DM. Don't do that anymore. This is a warning. Yeah, this is just a warning. We're, hey, we're giving you the benefit of giving you a warning. Mm-hmm. Do not DM girls anymore. That's fucking weird. Yeah. I mean, DM girls if you want, but like, don't use your position. Bro, that's the only reason why he's DMing them. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see this blue check, baby? <laughs> <laughs> and I would give it to Donnie, but again, I still don't think he's small press to really. Yeah. Think. I mean, I get it. I get it. Trust me. Trust me. He's mm-hmm. fucking horrible. But I I just, I don't think, again, he's he's a big publisher problem. Right. That's their problem. Kangas, my fucking nerves, Kate's, though. all those motherfuckers. That's y'all's problem, not ours. Yeah, Flintayo, so. you guys award him your simp of the year. <laughs> yeah, Ramon, fucking handle your shit over yeah. there. No, you know, keep your fucking lawn in order. Ramon, Ramon is uh, diplomatic with Donnie, I think. I think that Keep your yard in order, Ramon. Stop being a bitch and fucking handle things over there. I will say, fucking Ramon using his little mind tricks on Donnie Cates on the main Twitter timeline, that's pimp of the year worthy. That's true, yeah, he does have his little Jedi mind tricks yeah, that he plays. <laughs> uh, I've seen Donnie Cates pop off at Ramon on Twitter, being like, oh, so so lame of you to say this, blah, blah, blah. And like within four replies, Donnie's apologizing to Ramon. <laughs> that's, so that's pretty pimp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that rocks. <laughs> Just getting fucking worked. <laughs> what a fucking loser. Ramon will deny all this and say it's all peace and love. Oh, no, of course. Of read course. between the lines. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, so, uh, yeah, that'll do it, I guess, for this year's uh, Pimp and Simp Awards. Shout out to all of the winners. The most important awards in comics. Yep, yep. And all you simps. Do better. Do fucking better. Do the work. Maybe put some more hashtags in your bios. Work on yourselves. Yeah, I agree. All right, so uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Brian Baines of Bubbles and Ryan Holmberg. So stick around. We'll be right back. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29, as she travels the ruined world finding ways to survive and help humanity while dealing with the eminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky. Her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated waste land every issue can be read for free on busterkegel.com slash comics paper copies can be ordered as well but you know you can still read it for free if you like wizards or warplanes go check it out one day while combing the beach amber and alana discovered a pair of beautiful medallions what happened next changed their lives forever the Santos Sisters will have you laughing from cover to cover as they fight crime, date dumb dudes, and just deal with everyday life as young women in the world. Coming in at a whopping 56 pages. 
This comic is printed with a four-color web press on decadent newsprint. All that for just five bucks? The number one source for underground comics in Chicago, Quimby's, says this about our comic. A style that's part Archie, part superhero, part snark, but it's all fun. And we think that's just sick. The Santos Sisters is available now in select comic book stores and online at santosisters.com. Rust Belt Review is a quarterly comics lit magazine featuring serialized and short form comics from some of the most exciting cartoonists in the small press scene today. Volume 1 features work from Gutter alums M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, and Caleb Arecchio, along with work by Andrew Greenstone, Sean Knickerbocker, and Juan Jose Fernandez. You can order your copy of Rust Belt Review today by going to rustbeltreview.org. Enter in promo code GUTTER to receive two bucks off your order. Again, that website is rustbeltreview.org. Promo code GUTTER. to our program. Welcome back from the break. Today, we are joined by previous guests, Brian Baines from Bubbles Fanzine and Ryan Holmberg. Uh, you know Ryan from uh, translating so much stuff for Breakdown Press, Drawn and Quarterly, uh, NYRC, Black Hook Press, uh, the list goes on and on, uh, new book with Glacier Bay. But today, we're here to talk about Bat Kid by uh, Kazuo. Uh, before we get into that, Eno though. Uwe. <laughs> what's up, guys? Hey, what's up? Hey, nice to be here. Hell yeah. So uh, let's just go ahead and get right into it. Um, Brian, you know, we were talking to you back in the summer during that retreat and you were telling us about this baseball issue of bubbles and everything. You know, we didn't talk about it or anything. You know, we kept it under wraps for you. But you kind of just went all in with this baseball shit between the new issue and then this new translation. So um, I think it's pretty obvious you're a baseball fan. But what made you want to go ahead and, you know, just go full tilt into this? Yeah, at cab in 2019 i talked to uh andrew alexander who um has a comic uh the longest comic that'll probably ever be in an issue of bubbles eight pages in the back of the new issue we were talking about baseball and comics and just the connection between the two that i've kind of forged in my own mind whenever i'm obsessed with something i can't help but want to combine the two and try and figure out parallels you know between you know be it like uh comics and uh music that i like or in this case comics and baseball and you know I, I just kept finding really cool connections because it's it's always cool when you see something like a peanut strip that mentions a actual athlete or something that you're like oh man it's so cool to know that Charles Scholes was a real baseball fan and a huge baseball fan and and so I don't know that was back in the fall of 2019 and uh, I'd slowly been collecting content I mean some of these comics that were drawn for the issue were drawn like over a year ago and then um, a lot of these article ideas had been kicking around in my head and uh, yeah it's uh, it was definitely the hardest I'd ever worked on any issue because I did four interviews myself and wrote four articles, but I'm super proud of how it came out. It's definitely, uh, you know, what I picture Bubbles to be. It's just whatever I'm obsessed with at the time. And yeah. Yeah, great execution, dude. It was a good issue. And, um, you know, I'm glad that uh, it came out. Bat Kid looks great. And, you know, kind of want to go ahead and talk to Ryan a little bit as well. Ryan, you're kind of like the guy when it comes to translating alternative manga. What's your background, dude? Like, if you can kind of just, you know, do a condensed version of how you kind of got to doing all this shit. 
I grew up reading manga, uh, having grown up partially in Japan in the 1980s. And then I did a PhD in Japanese art history and ended up writing about 1960s manga, specifically Garo. So that was my connection to um, uh, alternative manga, uh, particularly. But, you know, when I was a kid in the 80s, what did I read? I read Shonen Jump, Dragon Ball, Fist of the North Star. I don't think I read any sports manga, but I do remember uh, being growing up in Japan, being interested in uh, Japanese baseball, not directly by watching the games, but, you know, Japanese baseball cards were floating around. There was a uh, African-American player who played for the Tokyo Giants named Warren Cromarty, uh, who originally played for the Expos. And I guess when he came back to the States in the late 80s, he played for the Royals, I think, for a bit. So he was kind of a big figure in my mind. He really stood out. He was a big figure in Japanese pop culture in the 1980s, as was uh, another American named Randy Bass, who played for the uh, Hunching Tigers in Osaka for a number of years. But I think when I was a kid in Japan, the my main baseball content was through Family Computer, Nintendo. And I can't remember the name of the game, but there was a one baseball game on there that I played incessantly. So I was familiar with most Japanese baseball player players' names in the 1980s, primarily through that video game. But I don't remember ever watching the sport. But when I came back to the United States in the late 80s and 90s, I was a big, we lived, I lived in Maryland, so I was a big Baltimore Orioles fan up until probably early high school, until I got to college. And then I stopped watching baseball and all sports altogether. Uh, then hanging out with Brian a lot uh, this past year, talking about baseball. And uh, that was infectious. And at the same time, a museum in Belfast called the Naughton Gallery, they had a uh, exhibition about Japan and sports, an art ex- exhibition. And they wanted me to write something about sports and manga. So uh, I chose baseball uh, because baseball manga, as you might know, is a mega category in the history of post-war uh, manga. So that all came together. And then uh, just kind of on the side, I mentioned to Brian, I think this is how it went. I mentioned to Brian, how about we do this translation of this uh, famous original so-called first baseball manga uh, from 1948 called Bat Kid. Uh, and it, the project grew from there. You're translating the book and then you're also doing, you know, a pretty lengthy essay, as is pretty standard with every, you know, work that you translate. What are you doing to gather all that? How long is that process taking you? You know, do you feel like it's challenging in a good way? Because a lot of this stuff is, you know, obscure in a way. Sure. This one, I mean, you know, there's usually two contexts. There's the manga history side, and then there's the social, political, cultural history. And in this case, the manga history side wasn't too difficult because I was already researching baseball manga. And the social cultural side also wasn't too difficult because there's quite a bit of literature, even in English, on the history of baseball. And between what I already knew and what was easily grabbable, it wasn't too hard to put together an essay. I mean, I think it took me a month and a half to research it and write it. But in this case, you know, most of my projects, I either have to um, spend a lot of time talking to the artists or their heirs or emailing back and forth or trying to source obscure manga and obscure articles from. Japanese libraries and Japanese colleagues. Uh, But in this case, there wasn't too much of that. 90-90% of what's in there was kind of easily grabbable through easily accessible books. So are you also in Virginia then, since you all are hanging out? No, I live in North Carolina, but we live close close to one another. And I oftentimes pass through Richmond on my way to Maryland to see my mom. Hell yeah. 
So this is the second collaboration that you all have done. Uh, you know, the first actually being, you know, the translator without talent, both issued by you, Brian, over at Bubbles Books. Do you all have anything cooking up for the future? I will say um, we do have something that we're um, thinking about now uh, because we've been watching uh, feedback from Batkid and has been quite positive. So all I can say is that the next project will be something connected to Batkid. And that's all I'll say about it. Hell yeah. Yeah, so nothing to add, but I'm super excited to uh, slowly do some more. You know, I'm going to let the books kind of come to me. And just like with Bubbles, just kind of like whatever feels exciting and and feels like right to do, then, um, you know, we'll keep doing projects. Me and Ryan, you know, ever since me and Ryan, uh, I met Ryan when we we did the issue for uh, Bubbles number three. It was shortly after I had put out number one that we did. We met up, met him for the first time. And ever since then, Ryan has become like a huge part of Bubbles. Uh, you know, Ryan has an article in like, I don't know, the last four or five issues or more of Bubbles. And uh, yeah, so we'll definitely keep working together. It's been a good relationship. Hell yeah. I do want to talk about this book, though, and, you know, putting it together. As far as, like, the original artwork, as far as, like, how you got these scans, I know this is kind of, like, dorky, but I want to kind of know about how you assemble this entire project, you know? Like, so were you, you know, getting this from the original printing, or were you finding, you know, originals in cooperation with, you know, the estate? How are you uh, able to put this book together from, like, you know, getting the pages together and whatnot? So Bat Kid was originally serialized in between 1947 and 1949 in a magazine called Manga Shonen, which just means manga boys. And it's a very a very famous magazine, uh, particularly because Tezuka Osamu, he had his first major manga serials, magazine serials, in that magazine in the early 50s. Prior, he was publishing uh, small books known as Akahon in Osaka from the late 40s because the uh, the big money publishers were all in Tokyo. In order to shift to Tokyo, he started submitting work to magazines. And it wasn't his first, but the first uh, serials that really got his name big in Tokyo were for Manga Shonen. And because he was publishing there, a lot of the... Uh, a lot of young uh, aspiring artists, um, anywhere from the Fujiko Fujio duo, who did like Doraemon and Hattori-kun, to um, Tatsumi Yoshihiro, who, you know, created Gekiga. They were all reading manga shonen um, and submitting four panel strips and one panel strips to that magazine and getting published in there. So Manga Shonen is really known for that, for like being Tezuka's first big home in Tokyo in the magazine market. And then being like a place where uh, young, inspiring artists cut their teeth, like the next generation of big manga artists. However, ma- uh, Manga Shonen had financial troubles in its uh, first year. And the only manga that really kept it going was Bat Kid by Inoue Kazuo, which was uh, not, I don't mean to use a baseball metaphor, but it was the, the leadoff manga in the in the magazine. Uh, and it ran nice. for, it ran for um, you know, almost two years. And the reason it didn't go for longer is because the artist uh, died uh, from from lung disease, uh, as many people did in the in the early post war period. So that's that. But there, so it was repackaged as a book in 1948. Uh, a section of it, I think, the three, first three or four chapters. This is detailed in my essay. It was repackaged as a book. And that book was a bestseller in Tokyo amongst not just kids, but also it was really beloved by parents and teachers. It was seen as what manga should be, rather than the kind of uh, zany, high-powered, action-based, quote-unquote, trash that Tezuka was producing in Osaka, and it was coming out of the Osaka Akahon market. 
So Batkid was like good comics, like comics that were supposed to be read by kids, especially by middle class kids. And it was the book edition was hyper successful. And a lot of people who were young at that period uh, remember Batkid very fondly. In 19, I can't remember the exact year, but in the 1980s, a facsimile edition of that book was reissued. And you can pick up copies of that in, in Japan for uh, fairly cheap. But we uh, created, our edition is based off of that 1948 book, which was made into a facsimile edition. So the, the book was produced from scans from the facsimile edition from the 1980s. Is there still a fandom, even if it's, you know, somewhat small for Bat Kid over in Japan currently? I would say, uh, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's, it's known if you know manga history, right? Right. I mean, for anybody who's not, you know, even like voracious manga readers, they don't necessarily know history. Even something from the 1980s or 70s will be old to them, seem, seem mm-hmm. old. So, you know, if you go back to anything before the 1960s, just looks strange, like a different world of comics to them. And, you know, Bat Kid is basically cartooning, making manga prior to the Tezuka Revolution. Yeah. So to many eyes today, it looks um, quite staid, right? It doesn't have all the flash and cinematic um, speed of most comics, uh, m- most manga uh, after Tezuka really breaks big. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an important work historically uh, for a number of reasons particularly because baseball manga got so big and many of the early baseball manga authors cited Bat Kid as an influence. But um, as something that's like read actively in Japan now, I would say it's not at all. You know, when people start reading, the oldest baseball manga people will read now is probably from the 1960s. There's one called Kyojin no Hoshi, uh, Star of the Giants. It's the stereotypical quote-unquote sports guts manga where it's basically uh, a young uh, prodigy, you know, trained hard and to the point where his, he, he falls he falls on the field he collapses on the field his hands are bloodied you know he takes a beating at every practice every day so that be kind of kind of became the norm of baseball manga in the 1960s and Kyojin no Hoshi was so popular both as a manga as an anime that it pushed uh, its uh, home magazine Shonen magazine uh, over uh, the 1 million mark uh, in the late 1960s which was the first time that it ever happened for um, a manga magazine or any kind of boys magazine so, you know, that's kind of like the beginning of baseball manga as big business. Um, so anyone today, if you ask them, like the oldest baseball manga they've read, it's probably that, Kyojin no Hoshi back in the, in the 1960s. But I, I doubt anyone other than historians uh, read Bat Kid. Gotcha. So what would necessitate, you know, a reprinting in the 80s, just like a small boutique kind of run? So the person who did it was a artist named uh, Terada Hiro. T-E-R-A-D-A-H-I-R-O-O. Uh, this is all detailed in the essay, but Terada Hiro was a major artist in manga shonen. He was a fan of Tezuka's. He moved to Tokyo to start drawing comics. He oversaw the amateur submissions page. So, you know, the person who basically checked and criticized, critiqued, and uh, gave feedback to people like the Fujiko Fujio duo or Tatsumi Yoshihiro when they were young would have been manga shonen's editors, but also someone like Terada Hiro. He subsequently started drawing baseball manga. He was like kind of the first full-time baseball manga artist in the late 1950s. But as he got older, you know, he looked back at his uh, young adulthood and the manga that really inspired him. And that one, the one that had been forgotten because, you know, a lot of Tezuka's mangas had stayed in prints, uh, was Bat Kid. 
So he was responsible both for the facsimile edition of Batkid in the 1980s. He started this fairly elaborate research project to archive uh, manga shonen, which the old issues of which are really hard to find. They're really expensive. But he created an important book also in the 1980s that's basically a catalog of manga shonen's contents with all the table of contents, uh, a group of essays, and a selection of manga. So, you know, he was... A major artist with manga shonen and major and also influenced by manga shonen. But in the 1980s, he became the main archivist of the history of manga shonen. So Bat Kid uh, was one of the things that he produced as a historian in the 1980s. And what's interesting is that he was also quite good at baseball. Uh, he excelled in high school, and I think he played. Uh, he also played semi-professional uh, baseball for company teams uh, prior to quitting that and becoming a full-time cartoonist. There's a number of cases in Japan of either former baseball players becoming cartoonists or real baseball players being uh, centrally influenced by baseball manga. So Brian, is uh, Ryan just putting you on this shit or are you actually seeking (laughs) out, you know, this stuff on your own? Ryan is always putting me on this shit. Uh, He's always dropping books off, mailing me books. You know, back it was, of course, something that, you know, before you, uh, if you were to Google this book you know a few months ago on the english google you you weren't going to come up with very much but ryan has done a lot to uh bring up the importance of it and uh you know ryan's essay it really is amazing in contextualizing this book i mean yeah it's just a really cool artifact i'm super stoked to have uh people read it and kind of go in knowing nothing and come out thinking you know like they can kind of see it as a puzzle piece as uh you know what manga your favorite manga from the 60s or 70s were reading when they were growing up and you know things like that but uh yeah it was all right it was all Ryan finding the book but you know uh, together uh I had a lot of fun doing the production you asked about putting it together and you know I did all the production of the photoshop and designing and the lettering which was really exciting it was the first time oh good job dude yeah it looks great yeah it was the first time I'd taken on something that large I did the lettering I've done a little bit of lettering in the past like before bubbles and stuff and uh but this was the first time I'd done something on this level and uh it was a lot of fun it was like a big you know just a big challenge of puzzling of trying to get the right things to fit in the bubbles and uh trying to fudge the bubbles to fit the correct sentence that we want and um yeah it was a lot of fun I had a blast uh getting it all together so I also I was gonna say I also did some hand lettering which is uh (laughs) there's like a part in the book where it's uh uh the kid back kid himself he writes in his journal twice and uh i just didn't think it was gonna look right if i you know it's not that uncommon for like a viz book to just kind of paste a block of text on something that's handwritten or a sign or something like that but i just thought if this is going to supposed to be a journal entry then it needs to be handwritten so i just went for it and kind of did like an all caps handwritten in my own horrible handwriting hoping it would look kind of look like a child's handwriting so you, mu- you, mu- you must have been irritated then when I told you to change the text a couple times on that part. Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> did I not tell you that I was irritated? Because yeah, it was no, pretty. You didn't. Pr- <laughs> well, then I just smiled and went for it. But you know, I, yeah, when you change, uh, I can only uh, 
I have a lot of more sympathy for any leatherers who are getting told to fix multiple things because I just had two things to fix, but uh, it all <laughs> it all came out cool. It's uh, it's funny to me to see my handwriting. I'll be interested to see if anyone uh, who's already read the book and then maybe hears this what they thought of it, not knowing exactly, I guess who that it was just like my stupid handwriting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the page right now, page 43 mm-hmm. for the listeners. Um, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, one of yeah. them. It it flowed like I didn't, you know, it wasn't distracting. Letter good lettering to me, it it doesn't take away from the flow of a comic. Like it just exists, in my opinion. Now that could be, you know, not what other people think, but um, I just think if it's not distracting, it's good. And I didn't think it was distracting at all, and I thought that it worked. Yeah, I had the I also all those lines, those were all I had to make them all horizontal because the book was you know he writes vertical in Japanese. So I think it kind of looks pretty good though. I mean, yeah. I'm looking I'm, that it uh, it came out all right. You can't re- you can't yeah. It definitely is not shouting at you. Yeah, for sure. Now, this is obviously like collaborative between the two of you. So, Ryan, do you kind of just like get all the information and just like dump it and then you see what's going on? You kind of just alluded to telling him to change the lettering. So are you pretty hands on <laughs> with like the production aspect as well? Um, I mean, I do the translation, uh, you know, traditionally. Wait, I, I can answer this. Ryan is the most thorough proofreader of anyone I've ever met. We go through dozens of rough drafts but every time the book gets stronger and stronger so a lot of respect to ryan and you know we're always changing the the script or changing the essay or changing a little thing i mean ryan's the only one who he'll write back and put a little note on the pdf and he'll be like is there two spaces between these words and then sure enough there is two spaces between the words and i don't know how he notices things like that but so ryan is huge for me on the production aspect as far as just a a really good set of eyes and always fixing himself or always going through another level of the translation and the essay. And every, like I said, every time, you know, it can be frustrating to change something like hand lettering, but it always gets stronger. So it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I started off, I still do most of my time uh, writing. So, you know, I think writing, you have to proof your own stuff. You know, you have to be careful with those kind of details. So, you know, I think that carries over into translation. But the other thing about like translation, you know, you want to produce a good book. You want it to be as perfect as possible. You know, you know, in the end that there's going to be mistakes. You can't catch everything, especially when it's just two people working on it. You know, sometimes bigger publishers will hire outside copy editors and proofreaders. But even then, small things get through the cracks. So the only way to catch all that is just to reread and reread and reread, you know, read it backwards, read it printed out, read it on the screen, do it over and over again. And the other thing about, you know, translating any kind of translation, but, you know, especially I think translating comics is that once the text, the English is put into the balloons and then you read all the English together, it sounds different, right? It's like you have to make it sound like dialogue. You have to make the dialogue flow. So it's like you also like read it at different speeds. It's like when you're translating balloon by balloon, you're thinking about how to translate that balloon. But then when you're proofing it, you're thinking about the relationships between the balloons more. And each time you read through, it's like you read the flow differently. So I think it's inevitable that you end up reading something over and over again and making small changes. And usually, you know, the last round, sometimes the changes are probably like unnecessary, but just kind of like you like you get into the rhythm (laughs) of like trying to make it perfect. But yeah. And it's great because it, it just being me and Ryan, you know, we're able to uh, 
make a lot of changes and go over as many rough drafts because there's no in-between, you know, it's just us handling everything. So, you know, it's not like Ryan makes a change and then he has to talk to the publisher right. to change for someone else to do the lettering, for someone else to do this. And so uh, it, it really streamlines it. And I think it shows in Bad Kid that uh, I'm sure, you know, there's also there's strengths to a whole team putting out a book, of course. But uh, I, I really like uh, the vibe that we had going and, and how I was, you know, when I finally opened that box for Bad Kid, I was really happy with uh the object I mean, we I'll, made. I'll say one more thing. I mean, like, I think the way we did it, you know, two people, I think it's ideal. And the reason is, is that <laughs> I'm not just saying this to promote the book, but I'm saying this for real. And that is because, you know, I've worked with a lot of different publishers and I've also been like a translation editor for big manga publishers. And, you know, having more eyes checking things uh, sometimes helps. But, you know, there's, it also helps when um, less people are asked to do more. Because, like, what usually happens with most manga translations is that the translator will translate something on a Word document. They will submit that to the publisher. The letterer will put it in. And then the editors at the publisher uh, will fix things as they see fit. And oftentimes, the tra original translator will never again have a chance to, to check things. And it creates, you know, some miscommunication. It creates like a situation of telephone where they're they're fixing text but not having read the original Japanese. So, you know, I think it's like good to have the core people, the letterer and the translator, be involved in all levels of the tasks. Because other than them, you don't really need anybody as far as I'm concerned. And what, one other thing I've started doing recently is that I didn't do this with Brian because I was working for Kodansha for the past year. Uh, not anymore. That's, that's, that's ended. But they asked me to start doing edits directly in InDesign. And like when you're editing translation, you're doing a lot of little fussy things. Like Brian said, is there two spaces there? Is there a period there? It's the changing little. And you kind of want to rearrange things and then look at it again, then re-change re them again. And that's best done if the translator can just go in and futz with uh, the text themselves in InDesign. So, you know, I think that's that's the way I've started doing things also with D&Q. Uh, at least on the first pass after the translation's been laid in, uh, I futz with the text in InDesign. And it, it makes things much faster and much more economical uh, that I just go in and change things myself uh, rather than telling them to change this, change that, and then redo it, and then redo it again. Right on. So that's where my line of questioning was going to go next was, you know, Bubbles is obviously a DIY operation. You know, Bubbles uh, is very much so rooted in punk culture and, you know, zines and whatnot. But when you're working with these other companies, these bigger companies, like you do get to be as hands on as you want to. It seems like drawn and quarterly just by what you just said seems to kind of let you do your thing. But I mean, I I probably an exception uh, just because the way I work in almost every case, I'm the one bringing the projects to the publishers. And for almost everybody else, they're being assigned manga translate so you know it's, it's i think it's like kind of understood that i'm going to be involved at different levels you know if if i were i i wouldn't but because they pay so poorly if i would ever be hired by one of the major publishers like kodansha or you know or i don't i don't know i don't know like maybe maybe biz media on their like youth ya stuff it's like I wouldn't have as much hands-on control there. And I think even like the people who translate some of the more, you know, uh, quote unquote adult stuff for like for Viz, like the Junji Ito stuff, I don't know how many times they get to change things or how involved exactly they are. You'd have to ask them. But my sense, at least for the, the mega stuff, the stuff for, you know, teens is that the translator doesn't, the, their whole job is just to put those words into another language and then their job is done. 
Hmm. If you want to hear more about this, like other, the big business, not just trying to sell my zine, but in Bubbles 10, I talked to Jocelyn Allen and, you know, she works more with Viz and has very much more of like a normal translation gig. You know, she's doing five books a month or so on average. And uh, it was really interesting talking to her. I won't speak for her, but, you know, we had a really great conversation in the, in the, in the zine. Yeah. So I know you mentioned that there was a second potential second installment that was tied to Bat Kid. Do you think you'll ever, you know, do more sports? Before we were recording, we were uh, joking around and you, all, uh, Brian, was saying that, you know, he wants to turn all these comic fans into jocks. Do you think <laughs> you're just going to stick with baseball? Do you have any interest in like researching manga for other sports? Because I know, you know, Slam Dunk, I know that's like a big manga, but that's basketball, you know, and I'm, I've seen, you know, volleyball yeah. manga and so forth. Yeah, well, as far as Bubbles is concerned, you know, this baseball issue was something I was, you know, kind of sitting on for like uh, over a year, almost two years. Mm -hmm. And it's just because I'm obsessed with baseball. I mean, I read about baseball almost every day. And, you know, doing the seasons on, I, I watch baseball every day. And, uh, you know, something I talk about in the zine is, you know, one of my attractions to baseball is just the storytelling aspect. Um, you know, things that are cheesy in a movie... But, you know, like a Grand Slam in the ninth inning would be a stupid ending to almost any movie. But in real life, it's just the sweetest thing there is. And it's just, you know, it can give me chills, you know, watching uh, certain games or certain at-bats. And I think that storytelling aspect is when I started to really see the, you know, uh, when I started thinking of following baseball as like a soap opera not that different than following a comic book month by month. It's when I really started to see that overlap in baseball and comics and uh i'll say as far as continuing baseball and comics i i've already become the depository for a lot of people sending me baseball related comic stuff and i appreciate all of it it's great <laughs> but uh definitely a little burned out on baseball and comics after uh putting together this 64 page issue but uh you know i'll forever love it and you know uh just before we were recording you know jb was telling me about sullivan's sluggers and i'm gonna have to check that comic out and uh, see what it's about but uh yeah as far as uh, the future of like what you know uh i don't know how much baseball stuff but i definitely maybe have another themed issue in the works but uh nothing that's concrete or anything uh the themed issue it's it's uh it starts to be uh it just starts to be a lot to uh get together and you know in in this issue there's a lot of things I didn't cover that I, I, I wish I did. You start to like realize that it's like you, you start to feel like you have to put everything in the baseball issue. But I could see myself definitely putting some baseball stuff just scattered amongst other issues. I mean, I didn't even write about Charles Schultz and baseball, which is like to me a huge oversight. But eventually the issue was just too large. And it was like, you know what? That's going to be I haven't even started that article. So it's just not going to happen for this one. Can I say something? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Brian said he's kind of burnt out with the baseball thing. But I think, you know, uh, you know Bat Kid, the publication, is important for the history of manga. Also, you know, the issue that Brian did, the Bubbles 12, the baseball issue, I think it will be remembered for people who are interested in kind of sports and comics or sports and visual culture uh, down the road. Because there are, to my knowledge, in English, very few publications that deal with kind of the history of like sports and comics. 
um, especially in baseball and comics, which is kind of odd considering how much baseball is part of kind of American mythology, this, you know, national mythology since the late 19th century. You know, I did some research, Brian did some research, and, you know, we can only come up with, you know, a handful of articles about baseball and comics. And part of the reason is that there isn't that much or at least as much as you would expect. But then you dig, and the more you dig, you find out there is there was quite a bit out there scattered. It's just no one's ever collected it and like put it together or written about it in a, a very synthetic way. So you know, Brian might be burnt out by it, but he also he also has. <laughs> It, you know, that doesn't you know, mean forever, he has kind of like a responsibility now to like keep at least this archive open uh, for for someone else. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, Ryan is totally right. And I I think there's I, you know, as I put this scene together, I felt like it the more I worked on it, the more I felt like it could just be a book because, um, you know, one like the David Collier interview, he wrote me a letter. I He got an issue of Bubbles um, and he wrote me a letter. He's a real old fashioned guy. There's a zero percent chance he ever hears this podcast. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he uh he doesn't own the TV. He listens to baseball only on the radio. But um, he wrote me this letter and he wrote about how New York was a place where comics and baseball were both perfected in the early 1900s. And that's when I was I wrote him back and was like, hey, are you like interested in baseball? I'm working on this zine. I would love to talk to you about baseball. And, you know, he had one of the most insightful interviews um, as far as like the philosophy of baseball and connecting that with comics. And, um, I, you know, he turned me on to this book called Fail Better. It's a philosopher who wrote this book about baseball. And I felt like that was one of the best books I read in my research because it was you know, taking baseball and looking at it from like maybe a more artistic angle. And from that angle, I was able to apply my comics knowledge to it. And, um, but yeah, you know, just the history and the timeline of comics and baseball. I mean, they both start around the late 1800s and, uh, mid to late 1800s. And they really start to, uh, get hold in similar ways, you know, through the newspapers, you know, and through the, um, railroad and through the radio for, baseball but yeah i don't know the, the, the overlap is just interesting to think about them starting like around the same time that there was like something in the ether that really made them both come to form and become an incredibly loved thing you know any kid in the 20s would be obsessed with comics and be obsessed with baseball it's just that's just what they loved and so i felt like we've come really far from like you know it's uh not as obvious but i feel like if you had to go back in time you would really see like the connection is like so obvious i mean in contrast you know in japan baseball is huge and so is baseball manga um, there's so much of it and you know kind of the question that we've sometimes gotten about like will you do more baseball manga and you know i'd like to if that was possible but you know also when we were doing when we first announced that we we're doing back kid a lot of people were like oh that's curious i'm looking forward to it but why didn't you do xyz more famous baseball manga from the 1960s and 70s and there's two reasons why what one is that all those are thousands of pages long most you know like like many big manga titles most sports manga titles are just go on and on and on for years and oftentimes it's especially with sports manga it's very repetitive it's just more hits more games more yelling and screaming pages after page for thousands of pages so just as a pub, a publishing undertaking you would have to commit a lot of capital and be hopeful to be able to sell 5 6 12 
fat volumes over time. And it's probably just not going to, it's just not financially feasible and the market's not there. And the other thing is that a lot of the major baseball titles, they are tied up uh, with major publishing houses in Japan, like Kodansha, Shueisha, and Shogakkan. So if they're ever going to be licensed into other languages, it will likely be through their foreign affiliates that they ever get published. So, you know, there's a couple of different forces working against uh, more baseball manga being translated into English. However, baseball manga being so big, there's also a lot of like weird and minor baseball manga or shorter baseball manga. So there are opportunities to kind of like hit the gaps and do interesting things that were in between the, the, the mega hits. Mm-hmm. So, because, you know, in America, you know, it's America's pastime, but I feel and I, I don't, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but I feel like America in America, baseball isn't as popular as it once was in Japan. It's pretty much stayed consistent. Is Am I wrong there? Like as far as its popularity, like it's always kind of been yeah. like the yeah, thing. Yeah, I would definitely... I would definitely say that in, you know, it's funny in baseball, I follow it really closely and it's a billion dollar business and it, but sometimes it really feels like I'm like in a cult following. It's, it feels like, uh, I, I don't know, maybe it's just because of the circles I run in, but I just also don't feel like, uh, many people that I know watch it and a lot of even, it's just, it does feel like a cult following. I don't know who, there are, there are a lot of fans out there, but definitely it's nothing to basketball or, uh, football and uh in america but definitely in japan the japanese they love baseball and it's still incredibly popular and you know they don't ever talk about the issues like they do in the american baseball they don't ever talk about the game being too slow or too boring or anything like that they truly love the game and you know and a lot of kids they're all raised on it there's a huge high school tournament called koshien that all the high schools in japan are they all start in the tournament but then it, it whittles down to uh, a select few that play a huge tournament and like the koshien tournament is incredibly popular in japan it's like you know that NCAA tournament is like probably the best comparison we have but the country all has their eyes on these high school games and it's uh, truly emotional because a lot of these kids it'll be the last time they play baseball not everyone will go pro but it'll be um, their last chance to play in front of a huge crowd before they have to just start their lives going to college or getting a job or anything but um, yeah I've yet to go to Japan or see a game but I, I, I hear that it's like um, college football game the, they all have chance and it's, it's an incredibly exciting experience so yeah they love baseball and it's uh yeah i, I wish i wish people cared about baseball here no one cares <laughs> but <laughs> baseball is big in japan i don't know i don't know if it's more or less popular than it used to be i mean you know people started playing uh baseball seriously in japan in the late 19th century um the first professional teams were in the 1930s and their formation was influenced by the uh, off-season tours of American teams going to Asia, not just Japan, but the Philippines and, um, and, and Taiwan and in different places. But, you know, baseball is an essential part of the history of modern Japan. So it's really not a surprise that it ended up uh, as a major genre within manga. Now, you know, another big important part of Japanese modern history, of course, is that Japan has, you know, since at least the 19th century, always looked to the West as the model to emulate and compete with, right? And, you know, that 
also exists within baseball as a sport. You know, it's like there's this thing in Japanese baseball and it goes all the way back to the early 20th century is that, uh, you know, you know, in the early history of Japanese baseball, Japanese teams, they would college teams, they would play uh, amateur uh, Americans that were stationed in Yokohama at these foreign settlements. And initially they lost, but then they, they, then they won and they won big. And part of the reason that baseball got big in Japan, it was because there was this idea that a certain Japanese way of playing baseball could uh, compete with and potentially uh, defeat uh, Americans who otherwise technologically and militarily um, were seen as superior to, to the Japanese. So there's always this thing in baseball, uh, Japanese baseball, it's like sometime at some point in the future, J- Japanese baseball will be good enough to compete with major leaguers. And there's various mythologies. You know, there's this, there's, there's various moments in this history. There is this pitcher in the 1930s named uh, Sawamura Eiji, who was eventually killed during World War II. But he was able to strike out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig when they toured Japan in the 1930s. He became like this hero of a Japanese pitcher besting the American players. And he's kind of a ghost figure in a lot of uh, baseball manga in the 1950s and 60s that feature, um, you know, superstar Japanese pitchers. And it's really only in, you know, the 1990s and especially around the 2000s that Japanese players in increasing numbers uh, become competitive uh, in the major leagues, you know, with Ichiro being being the first Japanese player to win an MVP. And then this past year with Otani winning uh, MVP uh, in the American League. So I think part of the reason that like Japanese in, in Japan, like baseball uh, remains kind of popular. There's a various number of reasons, but one of it is also it's like this arena of aspiration where Japanese can train and excel and potentially be able to compete on the world stage as first class uh, members of their respective field. So I think it, like baseball also has that. It's like a dream world of Japan being one of the best in the world. Yeah, it's interesting. Earlier, you asked Brian, like, we're going to make all comics people jocks, right? Didn't you ask him something like that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was joking. I mean, I it's, it's, like it's a funny thing. And, like, I don't know. It's kind of, like, relevant. Like, you know, I wrote this essay for Brian's new issue of Bubbles uh, about Ichiro and manga. And I opened with this paragraph about how usually our image of, you know, kind of the stereotype of the comics reader is a couch potato, right? A dork, right? So definitely someone who's, and obviously over time, we don't necessarily have that stereotype or we don't take it seriously anymore. But we probably don't think of most comics, serious comics people as particularly athletic, you know, it's like still not part of like the general image. We don't think of like readers of superhero comics as bodybuilders. And we don't think of like readers of romance comics, if anyone reads romance comics anymore, as like playboys, you know. But like in Japan, it's like athletes, superstar athletes actually do actively read comics and sports comics are and are influenced uh, by them. You know, and I was thinking about one other uh, like analogy is that, you know, today or yesterday, uh, Hirata Hiroshi, who was a big Gekiga artist, he was like the probably the, the most respected um, artist of hyper-realistic, hyper-violent samurai manga. He also had a big influence on people like Otomo Katsuhiro. Uh, he passed away, I think, yesterday. But Hirata Hiroshi, his manga was liked by a lot of people. But one of the uh, major public figures in Japan who really loved his work was Mishima Yukio. Mishima Yukio, if you don't know, he was a novelist. And then he became a crazy right-wing fanatic. And he eventually killed himself, I believe in 1970, uh, in the offices of the Japanese Self-Defense Forces, right? 
he was also a bodybuilder and he was really into, you know, sculpting and showing off his body. And one of his famous, most favorite manga artists was uh, Hirata Hiroshi. So here you have at least one example outside of sports in which, you know, a Japanese figure of importance looks at manga and especially, you know, in this case, Gekiga and certain models of uh, masculinity within Gekiga and sees in them perhaps not a mirror, but uh, an image of uh, some kind of aspiration towards what they want to be, right? So there's, there's at least other examples outside of sports in which, you know, Japanese are into comics that somehow mirror their own uh, heightened physical prowess in different ways. Right on. All right. You got uh, Nate's question? <laughs> yeah. So, because, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we have to. We just, we have yeah, to. Yeah, we have to. We have to get Nate's question in. So, friend of the show, Nate Garcia <laughs> asks, what did you have for breakfast? Be honest. All right. So, every morning for breakfast, I eat frosted shredded wheat cereal. And I pour half oat milk in and then half iced coffee that I brew. <laughs> and Whoa. so I, it, it, it tastes like coffee cake, kind of, because it's got this like coffee, wow. milky, frosted, shredded wheat thing. I, and I love it. I'm obsessed with it. I just uh, can't get enough of it. One morning, I just thought I'd try it out. And I, yeah, I never turned back. It's been like, uh, I don't know. It was like sometime earlier this year I, I came up with it, but I eat it every morning now. I love it. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Breakfast of yeah, champions. Yeah, you drink coffee on top of that or is that just yeah, your maybe coffee Yeah, maybe I'll pour a little, like a little bit more uh, coffee in a glass to drink at the end, because I don't put in that much. I probably put in like a half cup or something like okay. that. I'm also not someone who likes to soak my... I don't like my cereal super soggy, so I don't who like does? soak it. I, you know, I, I know some people who let their cereal, like, cook. Like, they, like, let it sit there for, like, 10 minutes and let it get that's soggy. That's Psychotic. Yeah. Well, yeah. I will say the, the shredded mini wheat is the only cereal that I let... Not for a long time, but I like it to get a little yeah. bit of milk inside. Yeah. That's the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, we'll get you a Wheaties deal. Don't worry, Ben. <laughs> yeah, anyone try try that one. Let me know how how you like it. I just want you on a box now holding <laughs> a baseball bat. That'd be tight. What did you have for breakfast, Ryan? What do I have for breakfast? Uh, this morning I had leftover. What's it called? Spanikopita. It's this like Greek uh, spinach and feta pie. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, that shit Spanikopita. rocks. Yeah, Spanikopita. Yeah. But it was from Trader Joe's. And the reason I had that this morning is that uh, both me and my girlfriend, we've been up late the past few nights on deadlines. So naturally, um, you get hungry for garbage at about midnight. So she made that and had two pieces at like 1 a.m. and had two pieces left over. So that was still <laughs> sitting on the counter when I woke up. So that's what went in my mouth after getting up. <laughs> yeah, that shit's good though. The Trader Joe's kind. Any deadlines that you can uh, talk about? Uh, the next book for DNQ, the Yamada Murasaki. She was a um, very respected and important uh, woman cartoonist who cartooned uh, initially for Com Tezuka's uh, magazine in the late sixties and seventies, and then shifted to Garo in the nineteen eighties. Um, the book is kind of a sequel in a way to uh, Tsurita Kuniko's Sky is Blue with a Single Cloud that we did two years ago. So that's being wrapped up very rapidly. And as soon as we're done, this thing, I have to uh, write a bunch of image captions and send the image and images and the essay to uh, DNQ uh, before I go to bed tonight. So that's Hell what yeah. I'm working on right now. Nice. Right. 
Looking forward to that. So, guys, uh, where can people buy Batkid? Follow you all on social media and so forth. You can go to bubblezine.com and uh, you can uh, buy everything I have right there. I'm just bubblezine on Instagram. Also, I got to say, join. I just started this internet forum a couple months ago and it's been really cool. You can link to it from the website, old school, not social media internet forum of a bunch of nerds talking about comic books. So uh, if that sounds like something you'd be into, uh, definitely check that out. Awesome. Right on. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for coming on the show, uh, Brian and Ryan. Uh, oh, that rhymes. I didn't even, that didn't even <laughs> register until now. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, if you haven't, do check out Backhead. It, it, it is a great art object, but also really, really awesome manga. And, uh, you know, new hotshot letterer, Brian, just showing off <laughs> in this book. <laughs> That's Hell right. Yeah. No, the book, you know, everyone who's seen it said that they really love the design more than, yeah, it's really mo- nice. more than most books that I work on. So I know, Brian, you went to art school, right, Brian? No. Oh, I, thought <laughs> I, thought had, I thought you had some background, but anyway, I don't know. Whatever it is, some natural born talent. The book, you know, the, book, the book, the book out, the book came out really well. Seriously, objectively, yeah, yeah. No, I love it. Yeah, hats off to you both, and uh, you know we appreciate thanks, you all. Yeah, coming back, Brian. Yeah, and, man. Uh, hey, thanks for having us, man. We'll do it again in a year. Yeah, hope to uh, hope <laughs> to see you again, dude. Soon, definitely, man. Definitely. All right, as uh, as always, listeners, uh, y'all stay gutter. 